Hello, and welcome to the Student Ministry Conversations podcast with your hosts, Russell Martin and Brent Aiken. This podcast is all about equipping, encouraging, and inspiring youth pastors weekly with topics that are brought to the table by youth pastors from all over the world. And now, here's your host for this week, Brent Aiken. Hey guys, welcome back to the Student Ministry Conversations podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brent Aiken, and today we are back with the recap episode for this year. Um, And if you are new to the podcast, every 16, 17 episodes, we do a recap episode where we kind of spend a little bit of time talking about our favorites, both Russell and mine. Russell was not able to join me this week for this episode, but I do have his favorites, and we are going to go over all of the different ones that we have um, as far as the content for this episode and our recap this time. And so first off, I'm going to go with my favorite three. I'm going to tell you which ones they were. We'll have links in the comments and the uh, show notes below, and I'll tell you why I liked them. And then I'll share a brief clip on what um, was impactful for that episode and that you can go and just hear a small uh, sneak peek, if you will, of that episode. And then you can go back and check out the full episode later when you have time. But today I am going to start with my favorite three. Mine would definitely be held by the ladies that I got to interview this time around. And my first one is with Katie Earls. Um, so with that, Katie Earls was on the show with me and she brought up a topic that I really hadn't put much time or thought into thinking about, but it's really, really impactful for when we work with other youth pastors and how to interact with people, um, as a church or anything else. And that is being single in youth ministry. Um, Katie is a youth ministry veteran. She's been in the game for eight years or so now served at a couple different churches, and she had some great things to say, and here is a short clip for you to check that out. How do you create boundaries for you not to do youth ministry all the time? You kind of touched on that, but I didn't know if you wanted to go into more detail or more depth on that. Um, Not doing youth ministry all the time. I do have another job besides my youth ministry, so sometimes that just is a really easy boundary of okay, now we have to switch and do this job. Um, I'm also in grad school, which also takes up a lot of time. And so it's like, all right, now we have to do grad school time. Um, and so for me, that has just kind of fallen into place of it just, my time requires different things. And, um, but before that season, uh, the Lord had been really intentional of teaching me, you're gonna learn how to rest and you're gonna learn how to not find your identity in ministry. Um, because I went through about a two and a half year season of not being a youth pastor and having to step out of this past season where God did amazing things. And I was a youth pastor and it was incredible, but I realized that my identity had been wrapped up in being a youth pastor. And he said, you're going to learn what it means to just be my kid without having a title. And he, he really challenged me in that season of saying, Like, am I still going to be enough for you, even if you never have the youth pastor title again? And so for me, it's, yeah, I was like, okay, God, (laughs) but like, it was true and I needed it. And it's taken me years to get back to the place of you are mine and I'm your daughter before I am your pastor. And that's something I have to constantly keep in the back of my head 
is I have to make sure I am being really intentional of just being with him with no agenda of, oh, this could be a good sermon, or this could be a good Bible study, or all the things, and that's just come from conviction from him, and um, I've got the people in my life that speak into my life that I've said, if you see me going back into this where my identity is wrapped up in this, I need you to call me out ASAP. I give you permission um, and they will do it. And I'm really thankful for them because that's what I need. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think that's something that uh, is very, once again, easy to fall into. Um, it's really, really easy to kind of, um, regardless of time constraints, it's really easy to find yourself to where you almost feel guilty um, because you don't spend enough time in the ministry. And so I have a question um, to kind of tangent off of that one. Do you find it hard to change hats? Like going from to. grad school yeah. to your full job, to your youth job, to like. Yeah, I think I used to um, just because again, I found a lot of pride in being a youth pastor and it was my identity and all the things. I still find pride in being a youth pastor, but like not letting it completely rule everything I do and who I am. And um, now it's a little bit easier to be able to switch hats just because I've had to walk through that season, but also because a lot of times my jobs require me to, you have to switch now because if grad school is going on and I'm having to read, all of my focus has to be on that or I will not understand what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and then for my other job, it's just like, you know, Sometimes you can like mix things in, but most of the time it's just this has to be separate because they're two different things. Um, and so it's just, again, been the learning process of creating really good work boundaries. And I always tell people because of the season that I went through the last two and a half years, I got really good at work boundaries because the Lord made me be really good at Man, that was great. And I hope you really, really enjoyed that clip. And if you would like to go back and check out that whole episode, it's being single in youth ministry with Katie Earls. My next one had to have been, and this might be a little biased, but had to have been a series that I started with um, a few different guests now that I plan on continuing. And it's students on the fringe. And so my first episode, I sat down with my wife um, Lisa Aiken, and she is a special education teacher, um, and she has also been a behavioral therapist and works specifically with children with special needs, autism, Down syndrome, anything else um, that can be thrown in the mix with that. Um, and she has a heart and a passion for kids with those disabilities. And she talked specifically about how to reach and how to include special needs kids in your youth ministry. Um, this was a really, really powerful one. I really enjoyed this conversation uh, for multiple reasons, because I think all of our churches have um, that group in our church. Um, and if you don't, you should definitely go find that group. But how do we how do we allow them to be involved? How do we allow them to be just as big of a part of the group as everybody else? And it was a great conversation. Like I said, here's a short clip from that. Typically, though, as youth pastors, we really don't um, gear our ministries towards this topic. We don't really gear our ministries towards including students with special needs. So this question is kind of twofold. Um, how do we work to include them in our groups first and foremost? Um, but then also, how do we take it a step farther than that? And how do we include them to where they're an active and ready part of the conversation that we're having within our group as well? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the best ways to get a kid to communicate is first to find out what their comfort level is. Um, if you've got a kid who won't say a word in front of anybody, then maybe you do some written responses that night and have everybody do a note card and write one or two things down and then share everybody's, you know, anonymously. Or um, maybe you assign kids to groups for little mini discussions with two or three people. That way someone else could be the speaker. Um, maybe that kid doesn't speak at all and they're nonverbal, but you give them an opportunity to join worship and they feel like they can dance in the background or right up front or that they can sing and it not be on key. Or, um, you know, we have, I think one of the most beautiful things in our youth group is we have um, a little girl, or I guess she's not little, she's a high school, almost high school kid, and she's blind. And um, I think one of the best ways that she is included is she doesn't have an adult following her around. She just has a bunch of friends that include her and make sure she's never sitting by herself, that um, she's never playing by herself, that she's included in the game, even though they, she might need a buddy to do it. Or that we plan ahead and you guys adapt games that you make sure she could be included in. Um, you know, sometimes you can plan ahead and think of those things and sometimes you get a surprise. Um, so maybe another thing you could do as a youth group is plan. Maybe have one or two kids assigned to, hey, if you see someone um, who seems like they're feeling really awkward or seems uncomfortable or whatever, the kids are going to probably notice them before an adult does. And if an adult notices, that's great. But you've got to keep in mind that a lot of those needs that kids have won't be seen. You know, like you said, our kid is one of the ones that unless you really notice his hearing aid right off the bat, you may not know he's special needs. Um, a lot of kids with autism, you, you wouldn't know that they're really uncomfortable in the room because the music's so loud at worship. So maybe it's just taking a moment to notice that kid and provide a room next door where they can still hear and feel the music, but it's not overwhelming. And then making sure that kid's not sitting in that room separately by themselves. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm throwing this question right at you off the cuff because I just thought about this and I think it's a really good one for this conversation. And I think this is the thing that we all fear the most. What happens with the, um, not guaranteed to happen, but what happens when you do get to that point to where you have maybe an autistic kid um, that just gets over um, oversensitive in worship to where they go crazy for a moment and they panic or freak out or try and go hide somewhere they can't hide. How, how do you, how do you set the bricks in place for that to be handled effectively and efficiently? Maybe when you don't have specifically trained people on board for that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, say kids just really having a meltdown and it's, it's a rough moment and you need to, as in school, we would call it like clear the room. If it's really that bad, someone's throwing a chair, someone's hiding in a corner, something really, really tough or embarrassing is going on. Take those other kids for a walk. Even if it's like, Hey, we're going to go play, you know, Frisbee outside for a little bit game time. We're going to go do this. Um, you need to have a few things in your back pocket where you just know, Hey, I can get a bunch of kids out of the room like this and not draw a lot of attention to this kid. Um, so yeah, the first thing, first thing and foremost is you just don't want to embarrass that kid. So clearing the room is a good idea if it's really intense, if it's not, and say they're just kind of like hiding in the corner and you can tell they're uncomfortable or they've ran out of the room and hid have one or two people go after them. Um, you don't want them to feel like, you know, someone's chasing them with a pitchfork and it's a whole village that's, you know, following the behind because <laughs> that's going to be really intimidating and they're probably not going to stop running. Um, so I think play out and really 
one way you can be prepared for that is just discuss some of those scenarios or possibilities with your team. Even if it's one or two of those leaders in your high school group, along with a few of your adult leaders, um, you don't have to be specialized or have additional training to care. And you don't have to have specialized training to notice somebody. Um, it helps. And if your church is going really above and beyond and you have one of these kids and you've had this happen a few times, it's probably time to start taking um, something called CPI training. It's called, it's um, crisis prevention training. And yes, it does have um, some things like um, holds and um, things like that for kids who are super severe, but it also has a whole day of just communicating about um, de-escalation scenarios and how you do calm that kid down outside. So if this is something that's happening regularly, it is time for your your church or your staff, or at least a few members to go get some training. Um, but if not, just have that, have that in the back of your mind and, and come up with a few things that you can do um, to not draw extra attention to that kid. Yeah. And so CPI training is very, very useful. Most, mm -hmm. if not all schools require it. Most, I think a lot of daycares even require CPI training if, yeah, as, if they're like full daycares mm -hmm. and not just like a mother's day out where it's a couple days a week. Um, but how, so how would a church go about finding that training? Would they, could they be able to just go talk to a local school? Um, yeah, you might be able to jump in with a local school, um, often college professors or, um, the school counselor teaches that. So if you've got a good relationship with your school, that's a good place to start. Um, you can also sign up for the training online. So it's an in-person training, but you can sign up online and find an instructor near you. Um, so yeah, again, it's just called crisis prevention. Um, training and it's uh, it's not expensive but it's it's important if that's a recurring issue um, and then the other thing is make sure that your team is approaching whatever is going on with all of your students with a I get to attitude instead of gosh we have to do this attitude um, because the kid probably feels that in other settings already um, and so does the family so you know, when you when you walk into a restaurant and the waiter rolls their eyes because you've got a kid that's screaming at the back table or, um, you know, you had to already re remove some other chairs and tables near you because you had to make room for a wheelchair, you're already feeling probably pretty defensive or frustrated right off the bat. So just making sure that you come in with the attitude of I get to serve you. What can I do instead of what do we have to change or what do we have to fix to make this work? All that. Yeah, like I said, I loved that episode such a great episode with so much hands-on ready to go ideas and um, strategies that you can take from that um, and I would challenge you to go and listen to the rest of that episode just because it was a genuinely impactful episode that really we haven't touched on as far as our episodes uh, for this podcast and hopefully it can be a benefit to you in your ministry as well my third is actually part two of the same little mini series that I've been doing of students on the fringe. And it was with Crystal Leak, and she is a counselor um, in Abilene, Texas. And she primarily focuses and works with uh, children that are in the foster care system. And we talk about how to reach foster kids um, because they are everywhere. They are all over our um communities they are in our churches we might not even know but there is great 
need for people to reach out to those foster kids um, and present them with the gospel that's the same gospel for everybody else. But how do we do that? And so Crystal sits down with me and she talks with me about a couple different ideas and tactics on how we can address that, how we can include them, and then also how we can support their families, how we can support um, the other people around them. And uh, just a great, great episode. Here's a short clip from that episode. No, you're a listening ear for them. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's that's super important. And since you do have a little bit of ministry background, I am going to throw a curveball at you. Throw How, would your would the way that you approach the gospel change with a foster kid? No. Okay. And here's why: the way I approach the gospel is, I mean, right now we have this whole like push. And to me, I feel like it really happened more about five or 10 years, even after I was coming out of seminary, maybe, you know, just like this whole bigger push of health and wealth and all of this. And I'm like, that's counter gospel to me because the reality is Jesus came for the hurting. All of our biggest, you know, names in the Bible did some awful stuff, you know, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> you look at Moses, hello, he killed somebody, David. Let me just cover up all this. Uh, let me get this man killed since I slept with his wife and now she's pregnant. And I mean, like this stuff is like spilling the tea, like the Bible tea is all over the place. And yeah. so I think with kids who, who come from those hard places, you're like, Hey, this is the place you should be. Because let me tell you, have you read the Bible? Do you know how this stuff is? It's like all this, you know, all this stuff you're telling me. Oh yeah. You know? So I think knowing your Bible stories and kind of helping them connect, so like, well, God's not going to love me because I did this. I've been, you know, sleeping with my girlfriend and I'm on marijuana and this, that, and the other, and all these five, six, seven. Oh, have you heard about so-and-so? And then you take them to that Bible passage. To me, that's like letting the gospel breathe because it's, it's a reality. It's a messy book. You yeah, know? It's, definitely. That's a messy stories and we're all messy. We're all messy. Sure. And so sure. I think for me, it solidified that approach more than anything, because I grew up in that like when I was younger, you know, you have the little bracelets with all the colors and like all of these different things. And they're great tools for evangelism. But I, I felt like our evangelistic style was off. Like that's not like we made it pretty. I'm like, it's not like it's not pretty. Jesus went into these awful situations. He didn't make them pretty. He walked with them beside the the hard. So I think that's the thing. Yeah, we we often uh, veggie tale stories or, mm -hmm. uh, children's church stories to where we take out all, all the negative things. Or we make our nursery and no offense to anybody on here. Cause somebody's done it. I know it, but like your whole nursery is Noah's Ark. I'm like, where are the floating dead people? They're like bloated. Where are the floating <laughs> dead people? Just asking. Yeah. I mean, that's very true. I mean, it's one of those stories. It's like, Oh, like, I mean, it's, mm -hmm. that's about as dark as they come. But like, I mean, it's, it's one of those things like, if you view it from the lens of the world, it's like, so how is this a good story? Um, and then when I was so doing the chaplain, uh, kind of ha having my chaplain role here at New Horizons, <clears throat> every week we would have chapel. And these kids, man, you do chapel with a group of foster kids, you better gear up. It's like, honestly, it was more like doing prison ministry than anything else. And I don't mean that in a weird way. It's just that they've walked through hard things. So they're going to bring up these hard questions. And I remember when that song came out, um, uh, Leave the 99. What, yeah. You know what song I'm talking about? Why I'm at Reckless Love. Thank you. Reckless Love. That was on repeat every week. 
Like these kids begged for it at the beginning and at the end, because it spoke to them, this idea that like, really, Miss Crystal, you're, you're telling me that God would leave all of this and, and he still loves me. Like some of them were getting these messages from their parents that they weren't loved because man, sometimes their parents just couldn't get off the drugs. And I'll, yeah. I'll say this here because I got to say it somewhere. Never tell a kid. And if you have go, go back and remember who you told and apologize to them. Kids. Okay. They get told this by society and it's not true. A parent doesn't love drugs more than their kids. It's not possible. First of all, the biblical idea of love and addiction are not the same thing. Drug is an addiction. A a parent who cannot get off of drugs and they're struggling with their addiction, we have to help a kid realize that. We have to help them see the, the healing power there is saying, hey, your parent's addicted. And what I tell kids is like, Okay, for the next month, I just want you to be off all sugar. That means anything that has sugar in it in a, you know, so then we start looking at what has sugar in it. Everything in a bag, in a can, in a box, all of that has sugar in it. Some kind of hidden, not healthy sugar. Then you have all the alternate sugars like stevia and aspartame. You got to get off all that too. And the only sugar around is a natural source, which is only going to be fruit. So basically what you're going to be eating is meat, veggies, and fruit. Only if it comes from, you know, the ground, because you go to bread, bread has that secondary sugar, that carb that turns into sugar and isn't healthy, right? Kids look at me like, Miss Crystal, I can never do that. I'm like, that's what it's like for your parent to get off drugs. Like it's, it's the hardest thing they're going to ever do in their lives in any kind of addiction, right? Yeah. And so it's helping them understand the love of God is different. So I really think that's a big thing too, is talking about the reality of the love of God that it's unconditional, like no matter what they do or what their parent does, they're still loved. And it's not about the good or the bad that gets us into heaven. It's just, it's Jesus. It's that he sacrificed. And so I think these kids, when I was doing this, you know, the chaplaincy role with them. And even when I was a chaplain in a psychiatric hospital, that basic message is like, whoa, that's a big deal. Yeah. Like I said, great episode. I love Crystal to death. Uh, We are actually foster parents. Um, and we definitely had a bunch of interactions that came from this just out of our own desire to want to listen to this episode, um, as well as hopefully have it as a resource for any foster students that come through our ministry in the future. Um, but that is my three. Uh, I really hope that you take a chance to go listen to those. Like I said, links to the actual episodes are in the show notes for this episode. Um, and so you can go and click that and it'll bring you right to where you can listen to that episode online, or you can find them on your favorite um, podcasting provider, Spotify, Apple Music, Google Music, anything else um, that you might listen to podcasts on. And so now we are going to move into Russell's episodes. And Russell, as I said, wasn't able to um, join me this week as he had some other obligations that he had to take care of. But he did text me his three. So we're going to go ahead and go through those as well. And so first off on his list was a episode that he did a little while back ago, and it was post camp discipleship. Um, Now, I, for one, um, was really, really looking forward to this one, and it actually dropped the week that I was at camp. So I was very, very much looking forward to and listening to this on my way home from camp um, that weekend following camp, and it was packed with a ton of great materials and tons of great ideas on how to continue that 
camp high, that camp um, level of spiritual uh, understanding that the students have, how we can take that into the remainder of the year so it's not just this mountaintop experience in the summer that goes away during the school year. And so it was a great conversation that Russell had with Blake. Here's a small clip from that episode. Uh, so yeah, I've noticed that too about trips. I mean, um, and, and you know, UM Army, like we talked about, and if you're listening to this and not familiar with UM Army, it's a, a summer mission trip. So think of your summer mission trips. Uh, even our kids just went to Fuge, which is more of a conference style uh, trip. So they do, they sleep in a like a dorm room or a hotel, but with their own, with their own, you know, group, but then they do the conference style worship and then they go out during the day and do mission stuff. Um, or whether that's church camp, like, uh, at, uh, Blake and I will spend a, a week at, at Lakeview church camp in in a little bit. Um, and it's a different style camp, but in each of those, like you said, I think the key is that, uh, for the most part, they are more disconnected and it's levels of that. I mean, when we went to CFAT, you had to be disconnected because there was no cell service. There was right. no option. Um, right. When you go to like UM Army or a mission trip where you're in towns, you may still have cell phones or anything like that, but there still is that those moments of disconnect. And if nothing else, disorientation, hmm. um, you're not in the same place where I can go to my friend's house. So you don't in the same, you know, you're at least in another area. So um Anything else about that disorientation and that makes those trips uh, special or, or that you find that students react to in ways that they don't normally when they're, you know, yeah. Wednesday night? And it, yeah. And I think, I think even, even I know I mentioned community so much um, being surrounded in that community believers. I mean, you, you see it, it's almost like a camp family that it ends up turning into that they, they unite with people that they wouldn't unite with outside of camp. Um, and I think our hope and prayer is for them to continue those relationships, continue to develop those relationships in the schools and in the communities. But I mean, it's just, I feel like camps are such a, um, just a, just evidence of, of how God intended for our community to be uh, just in worship together, um, in prayer together, in community together. And so um, just really, I think that's the big thing that really just um, echoes throughout camps that I've seen. And it's, I'm glad you mentioned that um, because it's one of the things I want to get to next is what are the dangers of that? So, you know, when you mentioned that kind of family come together and I, I'm supposed to ask you the questions and not answer those first, but I want yeah, to answer this good. one. You're good. Um, I remember, uh, so our group went to the CFAC camp several years and you kind of have those inside jokes, those inside things. It's a CFAT thing or it's a UM Army thing or it's a church camp thing you wouldn't understand. Um, and so uh, speak to that and other dangers that you see or at least warnings um, that when you come back from camp, you're like, it was a great experience. But I noticed these are some of the negative things that I need to make sure and watch out for that you could help someone else watch out for. Yeah, yeah. I think you 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 hit it on the head. I mean, um, you know, we want we want to continue that unity moving forward um, and know that what is what happens at camp. You know, you have the old old saying of what happens there stays yeah. there. We yeah. don't want that. Yeah. Um, we we know that that's a different experience, and obviously, it's a different. Um, level of uh, being closed off and being um, away from the culture, but 
we want that to carry over ultimately. And I think where we can get in trouble sometimes is when students get had developed those relationships, they are so in tune with one another. And then either one, they get back into their youth group and they're like, oh, no, no, no. I have those inside jokes. I only have those with the friends that I experienced there. So it almost kind of makes them close, makes them close themselves off to other people rather than the people that they experienced um, at the camp, uh, the, all those feelings and emotions with. Um, but I think also uh, where it can be debilitating is when you have a student who they're really connecting in a relationship with, um, with each other and then they go back into school um, and then they completely ignore that. Uh, they see them in the hallway and they go, peace, like, don't say anything. Um, and it's almost like, I wouldn't say two-faced, but it's just like a different level that the culture is affecting them to where they're like, I don't want to even recollect on what happened here. And I think that can be so dangerous, especially for students who are trying to find community, um, especially in the youth group, in the church of saying, hey, like, um, these, these are, you know, wanting to have people that are in their lives that aren't just in their lives at church, aren't just in their lives at youth camp, but are in their lives when they move into school or they move into the rest of the culture. Um, ultimately our goal is for them to fight the, fight the culture, or go against the culture themselves. Cause we, we can't do this alone. Like we yeah. cannot do this by ourselves and it yeah. is unsustainable. Yeah. So, so like I said, Blake, um, really, really did a great job with that episode. Fantastic opportunity just to kind of listen in and get some great ideas and great insight on how um, hopefully to keep that camp high. I think that's a struggle that all youth pastors have, um, especially those that have seen the magic, um, seen the power uh, of the spirit moving during camp. And it's a it's a definitely a challenge for all youth pastors to try to keep that fire going for the remainder of the year. And I think that conversation was great. The next conversation that Russell had um, on his list was games in youth ministry by uh, him and James Daniel Shop. And so with that, that was a great episode. Um, if you already do games, if you don't do games in your ministry, um, they talk about being intentional with the games that are chosen, being intentional with the time spent on games. Um, and just talking about how games don't need to just be another activity that you throw in and how games can be ultimately a resource that draws people closer to Jesus, draws people closer into the message that they're going to receive later that night. And then also just a great opportunity for fellowship and community to be built throughout that process. And so here is a short clip from that episode. Uh, take a listen and see what you think. When you were talking about that. So what are some of your specific things that you look for when you are planning a game? Or what are some of the questions you ask yourself when you're going, hey, there's a night coming up, we have, we're going to do games. What are some of the things you consider? There's a, really a couple of things that, that go into thought. And one is making sure that it's a game that pretty much everybody can play. I, I don't think it's really that fair to, to you know, just make a game and you realize that only a couple of the individuals would want to play it or you know, versus playing a game that, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe some of the older kids wouldn't want to play it, but the younger ones want. So it's kind of like finding that balance. And one of the things that I've tried to do to mitigate those struggles is actually kind of give the youth a choice of what game to pick. So usually I'll give them two options or three options. And at the same time, I'm, I'll be properly prepared for any, any one of those games mm -hmm. that are being played. But usually once there's some sort of a vote and that can either be done by an Instagram poll or right before when we're in the youth room, typically when you get a group to vote on one, whether they 
did or didn't want to play the game, they go ahead and do it because they know, hey, look, we all voted on it. This is fair. You know, this is what the group wants to play. And, and they typically go play the game. So that's one of the things that definitely comes into thought whenever it comes to choosing a game. The other thing has to do with making sure I don't choose a game too competitive because I have had a lot of different situations where if you choose a game that can end up being somewhat too physical, you, you have a little bit of an issue because for some reason, when you play youth group games, it's World Series, you know, game seven. <laughs> I don't know how it happens. but Ratchets up up there. It, it's crazy how quick it goes. And so definitely I try not to choose two competitive games. And thirdly, I just like to choose games where they have to communicate with their teammates. I want, you know, that individual who's coming to youth group and it's one of their first few times that the, the game that they're playing, their teammates are explaining it to them. They're treating them as if they're a teammate. They need them to win, you know, all these different types of things that just easily encapsulates an immediate relationship. And it's simply just because you started playing a game. And uh, I, I think even looking back, whenever we do like senior recognitions and we get their favorite memories, it's crazy the amount of times it was a simple game Mm -hmm. that later on down the road was the pinnacle point in these these youth's lives and they were like it was at that point I realized this is the place where I need to be this is mm -hmm. the place where God was working these people want a relationship with me they didn't just want to want me there as a number as just a person who showed up uh, they really did enjoy me being there so that's that's one of the main reasons I guess for choosing and that was that was something that I noticed uh playing games we play whether it's volleyball or scatterball or or outdoor <laughs> whatever um is you have like that seventh grader who's just there, but they're on the team with like with the the senior, and the senior needs the seventh graders to succeed. Right. And all of a sudden they're friends. Like they could yep. have been not, not known each other, but they're like, hey, you kid with the red hair, here's the ball, or whatever, like that. And so that's the connection that they're gonna have. Um, and that's the connection that they're always gonna have. Um, and the next time they choose games, I'm like, hey, who's pretty cool? Why don't you come over here? And so it gets those age groups kind of working together, um, gets new, you know, especially picking, if you pick the right game, um, you get those specific age groups and kids who aren't used to all of a sudden they're on the same dodgeball team. And so we would play scatterball, which is one where it's almost like, I don't know if you played it, but dodgeball, but you're, everybody's against each other. Oh yeah. You're kind of all working and it never ends. You get down to like five and you say, all right, everybody in and they go again. And so we'd use that kind of like an end of the, an end of the, uh, uh, night kind of game when parents are picking up because you don't have to worry about sides or anything like that. Um, but it's funny to watch these kids all of a sudden work together and they're pulling other kids in on their on their game and no teams. They're trying to get everybody out. Um, sure. And uh, then you mentioned the competitive and I had two uh, students, they're pastor's kids and they're both, both in college now, um, but they will tell you this was true. And I never could decide whether to put them on the same team, or <laughs> opposite teams. Because on the same team, they would fight over how it was supposed to go or who missed the ball or who did what. And on opposite teams, they were like at each other, like <laughs> loved each other, but they were at each other. Oh, yeah. And um, so there's something to be wise to choose, you know, how you do sides. Um, how do you divide up? Uh, that's something that people ask all the time is how do you divide up? If, if you have a two-sided game, like a team on yeah. team. So what, what are some of your best ways to divide up people uh, for games like that? So we've actually, one of the things I think is, is cool and a little bit different about what we what we do at our churches even whenever the individuals come to youth group before there's game time a lot of times like even when they're coming up into the room to hear the lesson we go ahead and they're already split up into two teams and so every week we're competing so you know we had a couple of different themes i think one of them was uh i believe it was battle of the brothers so what we did is the teams where you know if you were had a sibling on there you would separate 
you know, but when you went into the youth room, you know, you were already on a team, you know, it was, you know, let's say the Knights and the Cavaliers, something like that. <laughs> so throughout the night, when you're in the room, you could get positive points for answering trivia, for giving words of wisdom, which our words of wisdom was simply them sharing to the group how God has been working in their life. And that has been a blessing because, you know, you have, you have kids go up there and they speak out and, you know, what used to be something that was very hard to do in public or at their schools, they're finding themselves doing it in youth group. And, you know, they're getting a little bit more confidence. And whenever they go into the public settings, you know, it's, it's just like sharing words of wisdom. And so when you have those two teams, they're competing with scripture memory. And also when it comes to the Bible lesson, since they're on teams, uh, we've also made a thing where like, you know, we, we, you know, you don't want to be a distraction, you know, that's obvious a thing. And you, know, you don't want to always be going up to the bathroom. And so what I tell them to do is the same thing with the game time. You know, we're very serious. I'm going to get straight to the point. I'm going to get real with you guys. I'm not going to fluff it up. I'm not trying to hit a minute mark. But what they do since they're on teams, you could also get negative points for being disruptive. So all of a sudden, these, these parents who were school teachers, they come walking in on youth night and they're like, what are you doing? Like, how, <laughs> why are these? And I said, it's because if they will get negative points and these kids are just paying attention so well, they want to do great. And like you said, they'll have a seventh grader and they are rooting for the seventh grader to do well in the game or in the trivia or in the scripture memory because they're a part of their team and they're immediately becoming friends. And it's almost like an older brother, younger brother relationship. So when it comes to, I guess, splitting up the teams, like you initially said, it really just boils down to finding a good blend of the age groups. It's never, it's, I've never seen a benefit of having, you know, the older kids versus the younger kids. Mm. I've always seen the best when you have a variety. So whenever I go to split the teams, you know, I take a list of the names and I look at them and I see their ages. And then I just start trying to spread them out. You know, obviously you'll find a couple of people, you know, who have their, you know, their diehard friend or, you know, they're the person that they're not going to separate from. I try my best to keep them together. But a lot of times, just the way that I separate them is simply just scattering out the ages. And usually I don't like it to have them, you know, schoolyard pick for things like that. Uh -huh. because, you know, I don't want, I don't want a kid to, to yeah. feel like last pick kind of deal, but that's typically how I do. I try to spread it out typically with the age groups. And if you have the older, this is what I, this is the only thing that I've definitely found out over these past couple of years. When you have your older aged youth who are really buying into the fact of investing in others when they come to youth group, it, it makes the world of a difference. So all of a sudden these, these kids who come in, it's almost like a mentality. When you first start coming to youth group, it's almost like, what can this youth group offer me? And then all of a sudden, when you start maturing in your individual walk with the Lord, the mindset changes as although I'm still gaining on an individual level what God has for me, I'm also seeking out ways that I can be pouring into others the same way that God's pouring mm -hmm. into me because my cup is overflowing. You know, my, my tree is, is full of fruit and I'm ready to share it out. I want other people to try. So it's been cool to see when those older kids, their cup is overflowing and they're pouring into these younger. And so that's why I try my best when mixing the teams to have a couple older, you know, and they kind of, and it's almost like a funnel. It funnels all the way down mm -hmm. and you'll have some rare occasions where you'll have some of the younger ones. They're the leaders, you know, they're mm -hmm. the ones who are on fire for the Lord. And when these young, these older people may be struggling in life or in school, it's these younger ones that say, okay, you're dropping the torch. Well, I'm right here and I'm carrying it forward too. Mm -hmm. Like that's been the cool thing. It's almost like a, uh, the torch is the best way I can explain it. You know, you have a mm -hmm. torch that's being ran, but when you have these teams and these groups, once an individual is struggling in their walk with the Lord, there's someone right behind them to grab that torch and then carry them that, that same way. Mm -hmm. so that's, that's my methodology for choosing. Yeah. I great episode. I love, um, when we can take the sometimes mundane things of our job and even find ways for maybe the most 
unplanned thing to be gospel oriented as well. Um, a lot of times games are thrown together last minute, and this is a great challenge to all of us to maybe put a little more intention behind what we do and why we do it for the sake of having those impacts on the students' lives and prepping them for the messages that they might be receiving later that night. And so finally, our last episode is actually Russell's most recent episode. And this is something that Russell has been really, really impacted by um, for a while. And I have had many conversations with him about this, but it's service learning camps with Don Marsh. And so Don Marsh leads uh, service learning camps. Um, he talks with Russell about how they um, do a unique approach to mission trips um, and how um, they do operation, uh, they have provide opportunities for uh, your group to serve in a way that helps ministries that are already available and already going in that area. Um, and it's a great opportunity just to kind of get plugged in, step back and see it. And so if you want to know more about service learning camps, um, you should check out that episode. His links are in the bio for that. Um, it's a great episode, lots of stuff to take from that. And then just a lot of information about a great opportunity for your students in the future. Um, here is a short clip from that episode. We have to be a little more kind of open in our thinking about uh, more sensitive to what we're doing when we do those things. And so that's why when we're here in the States, we're pay, taking people on trips. We, we uh, really want them to understand uh, kind of the whole the whole picture of what's going on with the organizations that they are serving at. Um, you know, a lot of it, as I say, is not rocket science. You know, you're, it, it's just being a little more sensitive than you might've otherwise been to, to the needs, to the challenges, uh, and, and, and to, the, to the populations that you're serving. You know, we want, for instance, one, one thing would be, um, we can go to an organization that serves the homeless, and that's great. We want to hear from the person that directs that organization, and we want to meet the people that are that are served by. We want to meet homeless people, and we, we want our kids to sit and, and listen to them and hear their stories and stuff, because that's the kind of stuff that you will remember. You won't remember necessarily the bags you packed for them, but you remember the story from Jim that you met on the street, you know? So, yeah. Does that answer part of it? Yeah. Um, and that's, that's just that, you know, a lot of times I remember, and our podcast listeners have heard this story a few times, but I remember going to Bolivia and we went there and um, the first day we, we one, we ate our meals at a little restaurant in the town. Um, the first day we visited this farm and talked to them. And the next day we went to the schoolhouse and hung out there and the whole, you know, all, each day was filled with these experiences of meeting people. And we didn't know, I was like, when are we going to do work? When are we going to, when are we going to make something or do something? And I think they came up with a project of us to stack rocks that they would use. Um, and, and we realized it was like, you know, later on, we realized we were the first group going into that town from this organization that we went with. Um, and we weren't there to build anything except for relationships and Great. learn. Um, and those are things that I have carried with me. That experience has shaped how I do 
even when we go on our like youth mission mission trips where you know here that we normally do it's still always in my mind of you know those lessons that i learned as i go to one of these camps where you're just building things or whatever like it's still shaping is this really helping is this for me is this for them you know those type of things and so um and i think that's that has changed i would say in the last you know 15 years i know it kind of started shifting when i was in the heart of youth ministry um, it did start shifting to, you know, are we are we doing things so that we can say that, you know, we get our Instagram post or our or our, um, you know, our, our 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 feel good picture or whatever like that, or are we doing good? And this is not knocking any other camps, but just to say, consider those things when you go in, mm-hmm. um, when you go on a, a mission trip, it's pre-planned or whatever like that, like just be looking for those people on the edge that you wouldn't notice normally if you were focused on building. Um mm-hmm. Build, focus on building relationships um, and not just building a digging a sewer or do, you know, right. doing those type of things. Like there's so much more you can experience if you keep your eyes I, open. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Like I said, great opportunity for you to get a little more information on an amazing experience for your camper, uh, for your students, for uh, maybe some leaders that you have developing within your student ministry. Um, or just to take your whole church to. Um, there's tons of different options, tons of opportunities um, that can benefit your group, can benefit the community that you go serve in. And it's a great opportunity for you to look at for the future. That is our six episodes from this week, uh, this season that we're looking at so far. Um, we normally do three recap uh, three recap episodes per every season. So right now we use a lot of um, unclarified lingo. And so we are doing the summer recap of season two. And so there will be another um, recap that is the fall recap of season two. And then there will be a spring recap of season two. And then we'll kick things back off again with a summer recap of season three when that comes next year. But we are excited to keep this podcast going. Thank you for listening. Thank you for um, showing that that you're listening, giving us feedback on what you liked and didn't like about episodes. Um, We would love to have you on the show if you have not had a chance to be on. You can shoot us a message at Talk Student Men on Facebook, Instagram. Um, you can also just go to our website, studentministryconversations.org, and there is a Facebook message plugin directly on our homepage where you can actually chat with us um, directly from the website. Um, and we'd love to hear anything and everything we have uh, that we can hear from you. Um, and we'd love to have you on the show if that's something you're looking forward to or would like to do in the future. Um, shoot us a message and we'd love to have you on the show. But next week, we will be kicking off the fall um, session of this podcast, and we will be starting with an episode from me, and it will be CrossFit Discipleship with Ryan Ford. And I'm looking forward to dropping that one next week. Um, A great conversation with Ryan. We talk about CrossFit. We talk about what that brings to the table and how we can take lessons from the fitness craze that has kind of swept the nation um, to a place where it is discipleship oriented and how we can better our students and better our churches from some of the tactics and some of the strategies that we can take from CrossFit. Um, Until next time, you guys 
Um, thank you for what you do. We are honored and privileged to be able to work alongside you and hopefully give you um, episodes that are insightful, encouraging, and equip you for ministry. Um, and if there's anything we can do to make that better, please let us know. But until next time, we'll see you next week.